Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. the Mike and Mike at Night Show. Michael Carnahan, as always, joined by Mike Pettis. And what a freaking weekend sports we just had. Like, if we have ever had a show where we're going to have a problem cramming everything in, it's probably going to be this one, Mike, because, good Lord, everything happened this week. The Raiders announced John Gruden will return to coaching the national championship Monday night. We got LaMelo and LiAngelo and Love Bar and everybody de- debuting in Lithuania for that big baller league. And I mean, we got the NFL divisional round coming up this weekend. Some big, big upsets this past weekend. Shocking results, especially in that Rams game for me. I, I mean, I think we all remember I chose the Rams to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. But Mike, before we get into everything, how you doing, man? Oh, man, couldn't be better. Mike, happy to be here, man. Happy New Year. Let's get it. Let's get it indeed. And I think you have a special guest that's going to be joining us on the show tonight. Am I right? Yeah, we do, man. We got a special guest in Studio B tonight. My main man, Charles Williams. Say hi to America, my man. Hey, what's good, America? What's good? Happy to be here. Hey, right on, Charles. We're happy to have you, man. And we're going to get right into it. I think the top story this week has got to be that national championship. Nick Saban, we're going to start here. Nick Saban wins his sixth national title. Uh, Oh, my God. Ties the legendary Bear Bryant. I mean, we're going to get into where exactly we feel like Nick Saban belongs in college football's all-time great coaches. But first off, we got to get to the game, man. You know, the game started out very Alabama-esque. Alabama, you know, wins the toss, the first to the second half. And Georgia, after two plays from the freshman, who I said would be the key to this game, how a freshman reacted to the defense of Alabama, throws an interception, to uh, was intercepted by Tony Brown. So at this point, the Alabama Crimson Tide have to be feeling good but it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't long till the fortunes changed. 
And really, that whole first half, it was the story of Georgia moving the ball at will and Alabama not being able to do much. And we'll find out why here in a moment. But, I mean, that first half was a problem. And, you know, failed third downs, failed third down conversions, all sorts of stuff going wrong for Alabama in the second in the first half, excuse me. Georgia, you know, had a 6-0 lead uh, with just over seven and a half minutes until the half. And Bama wasn't able to answer anything in that first half. I mean, I just – when Nick Saban walked into that locker room at halftime, I don't believe there was a very jovial mood in that locker room. Well, Mark, I don't either, but as we all know, it, it, no one pushed the panic button. This is a seasoned team that, if I'm not mistaken, has represented um, the SEC in all four college playoffs, as we know it. So you definitely didn't expect the tide to panic, but you did see a sense of concern because the passing game was anemic, in which we're going to get to. But you did see a sense right. of concern with the guy because – they couldn't consistently move the ball down the field. I guess a uh, uh, great Georgia defense, I might add, as well as a hungry Georgia team. So we can't take nothing away from the University of Georgia. It's not so much what Alabama, you know, didn't do, or it's more so what they couldn't do because you had a former opponent in front of themselves. You got to give credit to the Bulldogs, but Mike, hey, what a game, man! I mean. We expected a good game, but did anyone in America expect that? No, we did not. What a ball game. I tell you, and it was tough for Georgia, you know. It would have been – you got to give your props out to Georgia because it would have been tough for any team to win not only one, but two overtime playoff games in in the college football playoff against what were the top four teams in the country. I don't care what Skip Bayless says. Alabama belonged in that final four. And the thing is here, were you I, I was very surprised at the quick hook Jalen Hurts got in this game. I mean, yes, Jalen was struggling, but this is the kid that got you to the dance. And I mean, Saban alluded to it earlier in the week saying that there would be a quick hook. But I mean, you never really expected it. And like like Bayless did say though, I believe it was a move out of desperation. Saban was kind of at his wit's end with Jalen and couldn't figure out exactly what he wanted to do as far as getting this offense going. So he had to hit the reset button and get Tua in there. Well, 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 the Alabama's offense pretty much was was stale. it really, it's really. I, I kind of see it coming because the past two games, even against the game against Clemson, Jalen Hurst really didn't do too much passing the ball neither, and then he, he had to be struggles lately. So, and then the the fact was Alabama they did not score. The fact they had trouble scoring, they did have that one drive where they missed the field goal, I believe. Yeah. Um, when the kicker uh, uh, in the first half, so they had a chance to get yeah. three, but they fell on that. And then Georgia, they had control of the game for the most part. Um, Jake Fromm, um, yes, he was playing fearless. They were getting the ball outside, you know what I'm saying, and, and the Alabama, their defense, 
kept me in the game and whatnot. But uh, yeah, Jenny, uh, yeah, the offense. I mean, I I didn't see it coming. I mean, I didn't see um, it come away. But then I felt like the offense. Jane, Jane, that's one throwing the ball well, and they couldn't open up the uh, run game enough. Exactly. I mean, I completely agree with you there, Charles. The thing is with this uh, passing attack, in Alabama you have to have that uh, pass to be able to, you know, you have to be balanced no matter what. Even if you are a power rushing team, you still have to have balance. And Jalen wasn't able to deliver that uh, balance. So that's why Nick did give him the hook. I'll, 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 I will give you that. Jalen did not look good in this first half. And, I mean, the, the thing is, I do have to give it up to Jalen. When uh, Nick came to him at halftime and said, hey, we're going to make the switch, you got to give it up to Jalen. Even though he's a competitor and you know he would have rather been out there in that uh, second half, you know, he fully supported Tua, the freshman, going out there, and it paid off. Yeah, it definitely did, Mike. But you know what? You alluded to it earlier that he couldn't pass, man. Really, the first the, the, the first quarter, definitely the first – I would say the first half was really matching with the two great coaches. You know, two former fellow coaches on the same staff, they know each other like the back of their hands. So, it was kind of filling each other out, seeing where we are going to go with it. But Alabama was stagnant on offense. Jalen couldn't, you know, push the ball down the field – and get it to his playmakers. But Nick Saban, Nick Saban alluded to it, you know, in the post-game press conference that he was on a short leash from the standpoint that if, if you know, if he, if he couldn't get it going or, you know, the offense started being still and not moving down the field, that he would go to tour. Because from my understanding, what they say in the Alabama practice is that Tua has really been outperforming Jalen Hurts in practice. And the rumor was, I don't mean to get off subject here, by your boy Lane Kiffin that Tua would have transferred if he didn't get any clock against Alabama. Now, I don't think that had any precedent on, you know, him actually being put in the game and what took place with Jalen Hurts because, you know, that's a main Hollywood script. But, I mean, it has some validity to it. The kid is good. He can play. He's the reason that Nick Saban is hoisting his sixth national championship. So you got to give him credit, man. But let's face it, when you're a team like Alabama, it really sucks when you got two five-star quarterbacks that, you know, you're trying to figure who's going to get the nod. So the rich just keep getting richer, Mike. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing, you know. that That's a situation that, you know, Nick Saban loved to have. He never had a problem sitting there sitting back at night thinking hey I got two great quarterbacks that I can choose from back here one last year oh could have been a Heisman candidate and one who this year has an even better arm and really is an upgraded version of Jalen Hurts when you look at it that way I mean Jalen everything Jalen can do Tua can do but he then you factor in the fact that this kid's strong arm he's accurate I mean, the kid has every quarterback talent he needs to be a very successful coach, and he could, or excuse me, quarterback, and he could be great at the next level even. And we're talking about a freshman here. I mean, look at these numbers, you know, including overtime. T- 
Tua uh, comes in just at halftime, and he goes 14 to 24, 166 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick. Now, I mean, yeah, when he threw that one pick, he kind of groaned a little bit and went, uh oh, Alabama could be in trouble. This kid isn't going to save him. But, I mean, you look at it, and the rushing attack, the rushing attack was anemic at best. Najee Harris, six carries for 64 yards, was the leading rusher of Alabama. That doesn't sound like an Alabama, a true Alabama offense. Am I wrong? Not at all. It does not, man. I mean, well, well, actually, Najee Harris, that was a, actually, he started that running game because six carries, 64 yards, that was some pretty good yards in the, in the second half because, yeah, like I said, in the first half, out of that offense, down to the pass, but the running game, because Georgia, you know, they had them not probably in eight and nine man boxes, because, you know, generation was ineffective, throwing the ball. And he, and he had guys open. He missed Calarino on a couple of occasions where they had touchdowns in some, in some aspects. So when Tua, well, when uh, Satan still the Tua, and when Tua, you know, loosen up that pack, you know what I'm saying, make some throws. Or showing you that he can throw that ball down the field, that's what opened up the run again. Then, really, the, and then the floodgates started to open a little bit. And then Georgia, I mean, they had an answer when there was a big answer when they had this long big run. But I think really the game that really that really turned around was the turnovers, the back-to-back turnovers. Like you alluded to, yes. Georgia, right. they had a chance to really get that separation. To at least get three to make it a um, three score game or whatnot, and they turn and uh, Jay Farm with that, well, I would call it kind of, of an inexplicably fluky interception that bounced off the helmet. But that's how one of them plays goes sometimes to get big games. Some kind of ball bounces. <laughs> yeah, and that was a, a bad bounce for the. That was a bad well, here, bounce for Georgia. Well, here we go. The end of the game, you know. Uh, Tua led the Tide to a comeback, and they tied the game at 20 with 3.49 left in the game. With three seconds remaining, though, in the game, Andy Papanastos missed a potential game-winning 36-yard field goal to the left, sending the game to overtime. This game was – this kick was not even close. And, I mean, it blows my mind that the greatest – team in college football, the number one team in college football, because let's be honest, I mean, they may have been the four seed, but let's be honest, there wasn't a team that was better than Alabama in these playoffs, and they proved it, or at least in my opinion. The, they, their kicking woes blows my mind. The Alabama kickers are not clutch at all, and this is something, this is the one area, if anything, that Nick Saban's struggles at is having a great kicker who can make these clutch field goals. I mean, that may one day come back to bite them in the rear end, but this time they get away with it, sending it to overtime. But, I mean, real quick, I mean, Mike, Charles, I'm kind of shocked that we saw another issue at the kicking position from Alabama. Yeah, the photos need that, I mean, this is, if you can point to one weakness in the uh, Nick Saban regime, it would be the lack of a consistent kicker that you can actually depend on. 
to win a game for you. <laughs> that's been problematic in they probably for those calls, so I know that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely problematic for Arkansas, but it, it's you know being a being a uh, this this Alabama group or the era, so to speak, Nick Saban era. It is hard to put your finger on the fact that he can't get a kicker now. A lot of these guys are probably, you know, they're probably amazing practice players, amazing practice kickers. When the light comes on, we know pressure busts, busts, pressure busts pipes and blood vessels, if you will. So, you know, I just think it's one of those things where those pressure kicks get to those guys, man. I mean, even being Alabama, but he should be able to get a top-notch kicker that he can definitely depend on, Mike. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, it's the most mind-blowing thing in the world. Probably the easiest position to uh, fill it's probably his biggest weakness. I mean, how many kickers do you think are probably sitting up at night thinking, God, I want to go to Alabama and just win the national championship? Let's be honest. I think every player, great player in uh, high school football today probably thinks that. But I'm just saying, you know, it should be a rather easy position on paper to fill. But obviously we see through Nick Saban, not so fast. I mean, the thing is here – not only that, but the opposite effect for Georgia. I mean, the first possession in overtime, Georgia drives the ball. The first play, a sack. Brom goes down with a sack, and Georgia's offense could not muster much of anything past that. And then the Georgia kicker turns around and nails a 51-yarder in overtime. You want to talk about the most pressure you can have, it's overtime, and this kid just nails that 51-yarder, and I could not – that kid still continues to amaze me even a week after he uh, – I believe he made the kick to uh, beat Oklahoma. That's the thing here. I mean, th- this kid is amazing, and he has a pretty cool – I, I always make fun of the kid's glasses because it reminds me of Buddy Holly. But, yeah, the, that kid is just on fire, and that kid will be playing on Sundays in my opinion. Oh, yeah, next time is Sunday ball for him. He's amazing. I mean, he has a big leg, a lot of confidence. And let's face it, you know, pressure kicks, you know, he has a knack for it. He does it. Some do, some don't. You got to give him credit. But, um, you know, <laughs> we're the game, man. I, I'm just I'm just feeling awkward. I did not expect that. Yeah, you know, especially how it ended, you know, the drama of, of, of the drama that built up until overtime, um, the replacement of you know arguably the consensus Heisman Trophy winner before you know the beginning of the year, the consensus pick. So you know you never know, man. That's why they say hey, play the game. Exactly. And that's why they always play hard until the end, man. So you really got to give Alabama a world of credit because at halftime. Did no one really think that they had a chance? Who would have thought that oh, you no. would have replaced? I mean, I, I knew it was Alabama that they weren't going to quit because they have resolved, but, you know, you didn't see anything downfield. You knew they couldn't consistently get the ball downfield. And as you alluded to, Mike, you and Charles said, Hurts missed at least three touchdowns by missing receivers downfield. And those three huge plays. So, you know, that was going to win the national championship for you. Exactly. And I mean, the next play in overtime starts the uh, exact same way. Alabama's offense starts off with a 20-yard sack. 
And uh, Tua all of a sudden, you know, looked rushed, looked looked like he was rushed, and Georgia's defense was coming for him. All of a sudden, we're at two freshman quarterbacks, and Fromm looked better all of a sudden. And here's the thing. The next play is what separates Tua from everybody else. Tua on the very next play comes back and throws a 51-yard dart, or excuse me, 41-yard dart to the to another freshman. And they win the national championship based on Tua's arm strength. And, I mean, his vision, his ability to look off the safety in that blown cover two play. It was amazing what Tua was able to do on that game-winning touchdown pass. I, I mean, hats off to this kid. And, I mean, Alabama's got a bright future, as we all know, with Tua under center. Oh, without a doubt. I, you know, it's just one of those things where – Jalen Hurts is 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 a great um, student athlete. He's a coach's son. He's a very humble, well mannered kid. You know, Good, he showed the utmost class doing that. Because let's face it, man, who wants to get replaced? No one. In the biggest game of your career, arguably. So, you know, he showed a lot of class, a lot of professionalism. Even though he's an amateur athlete, I'm pulling for the kid, man. I really think that. You know that Tua is arguably probably number one going into the spring. I really think Jalen Hurts should look at other opportunities elsewhere because he's a number one, so to speak. He's a number one quarterback. Tua just, you know, does a few things better and was just actually hot, actually hot doing the national championship. So let's give that kid credit, man. He deserves a lot of credit in this ordeal, how he handled it, and just the, the class that he showed in the situation. Oh, yeah, definitely, and that's the next thing I want to get to is if you're Jalen Hurts, do you sit? Do you choose to go ahead and stay? Nick Saban could potentially find another spot for Jalen, and, I mean, out of loyalty, I believe Nick should for the simple fact being Jalen is so talented and has done so much for that program that I think that Nick should at least try to explore something else for Jalen to do, whether it be a tight end, whether it be a running back, or at wide receiver. I think that Nick Saban should explore any sort of potential another, posi- uh, another position for Jalen Hurts to play. But do you wait for that? If you're Jalen Hurts, you're probably not playing quarterback at the next level. So that's, the, that's one factor in your mind. Do you go ahead and try to take another position that you can master in the next, I believe he's got two years left of eligibility, and then play that position in the NFL? Or do you go ahead and transfer to, say, an Arkansas and Auburn? You know, Auburn seems like a, you know, shoe-in spot for the services of Mr. Uh, Hertz. You know, there's a lot of spots even amongst the SEC that you have to look at for a potential landing spot should Jalen choose to transfer. But the question is, do you transfer? I mean, Jalen said all the right things on Monday night about how he was supporting Tua. He uh, made, he sounded like a great teammate. But do you go ahead and make that transfer decision if you're Jalen Hurts? I believe the answer is uh, no, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's a very tough decision uh, for him to make. And I know uh, – He's going to have the right help to help him make this decision, but I'm with you. I think I'll stay. Because well, you know, what one, also, I was going to add on to it, uh, to piggyback off of you. You never know. 
I, I mean, you never know. Next year, even uh, even if tour, even if tour, you know, do end up getting the spot, which most likely I don't see why not. He should get the spot because you can't have to work. We saw the other night, but you never know. He could get injuries could occur, and Jelly might could get his spot back. So you know, the quarterback is not out the realm of possibility. But uh, other positions, like he's athletic, so he can run. I don't know Alabama got a lot of running backs, but Najee Harris. Yeah, like I said, Najee Harris, fourth on the chart. And look what he did, productive. Nick Saban, you know, Nick Saban, he went from the convention where we thought what he would do is run the ball and, you know, could make make a few good throws to keep the defense on it. He went unconventional. He uh he went unconventional when he made it when he made a decision the other night, and uh, that's why I say that was one of the best coaching jobs that Nick Saban has ever done at any school or where he been. So I, oh, that's yeah. why I say Saban. Definitely. Yeah, that's why I say Saban. Yeah. He he's one of the greatest. Yeah, guys, you got to remember he replaced several coordinators. Um, he still had a young quarterback, young defense, uh, even though all that, they were talented. Um, just a young team in general, man. Replacing coaches, young team, injury. Despite him being Alabama and a top-notch talent, this still the best coaching job of his career. Yes. Hands down. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, that's something I want to get into now is the fact that is – with him tying Bear Bryant at six national championships overall in college between LSU and Alabama, I don't believe he won one anywhere else. Do you officially say that Nick Saban is the greatest head coach in college football history? And I have a far – I mean, I really don't see that you make an argument for anybody else. Nick Saban in the modern era is literally the – Nobody beats Saban. You can't outcoach Saban. You just get lucky. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you look yeah, at Clemson. Pretty. You look at Clemson when they won the national championship against Bama a year ago. Did he, did Dabo Sweeney really outcoach Nick Saban, or did he get lucky that he had a superhuman athlete at quarterback in Deshaun Watson? And he was able to somehow will that team to victory. Yeah, he had Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson had the ball last. That's how Clemson beat Bama. Exactly, because you got to wonder if Bama has five more minutes if they don't go down and score another touchdown themselves. Right. Definitely, man. I mean... Clemson showed up this year. You know, albeit their teams are different each given season. I mean, that Deshaun Watson thing was a huge factor in them beating Alabama last year. Let's say so. It took a Herculean effort, like I said the past two shows, by him, and they still won a nail biter. So it's hard to beat Nick Saban in the big game. It really is. It really is, man. So. Exactly. You, you may catch Nick guy. Saban slipping, but you're not going to catch him in the big game. That's, that that guy is going to be focused, and he's only going to focus on the opponent the week ahead. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's a laser-like focus, man. You know, he never lets those guys. You know you know one good thing about I love about Nick Saban? He never lets those What's guys that? underestimate their opponent. No, never. I mean, uh, people want to joke about his comment earlier this season. I believe it was rat poison or something when the uh, when the news people were saying that uh, were saying that Alabama had so much talent and stuff. Nick Saban got onto him and said, "No, you don't tell these my kids that. That's like poison to these kids, and they're gonna get their egos filled." Nick Saban does not deal with egos well. And that's the thing. He manages these players, these 18, 19-year-old kids who have been told since a young age that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. He gets them to his level, and he says, you know what? If you're so great, get out there and prove it to me. And he manages to channel that energy into something positive. Definitely, man. You have to set your ego, your ego at the door with Nick Saban, but come, let's face it. You got three, four people at your position, you're equal or even better. All top-notch talent in the country, so you really have to realize that it's about hard work, dedication, and team, because if you don't come in with that mentality, your athleticism ain't going to get you by anymore, because this guy sitting right by you, he's just as good. And I mean, does it surprise anybody? Does it surprise anybody how good Saban is? knowing whose coaching tree he's from, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. I mean, good God, you should have known that this guy was going to be great when he came from Bill Belichick. Yeah, Mike, you know, you never know because I think someone alluded to, like, for example, how they say the New York Giants is courting uh, Nick Saban. He wasn't a great um, professional coach. He wasn't a good coach in the NFL. He was probably below average. With that being said, he's a phenomenal all-world, probably the greatest goat, greatest all-time collegiate coach. You know, yeah, definitely. So and know, I mean, and I mean that's the thing. Part of me wants to see, though, honestly, before he hangs it up. Part of me does, and I doubt we will get to see this because Saban hates losing so much. But part of me wants to see Saban go one more time. Because you look at a guy like Pete Carroll, who struggled in his first tenure in the NFL, and now all of a sudden he's a world beater in uh, the professional football after going back to USC. So part of me wants to see Saban get another shot just so so we can make sure that this guy ain't just an amazing overall coach and not just a great all-world college coach. I do kind of want to see him take a team – in the NFL and see what he can do with them. But the thing is, I don't think we'll ever see that. I honestly think that Nick Saban will finish out his days whenever he decides to finish out his days. Shit, Saban may be carrying a walker on the sidelines at Brian Denny Stadium before he finally retires. Yeah, it ain't going to be no time soon. I completely agree with that. And speaking of great coaches or you know, me and you debated this last week, and I'm going to bring it up again. Guys who have the legend of being a great coach, John Gruden officially announced this week as the next head coach of the Oakland Raiders. And you saw the press conference. Everybody saw the press conference. John Gruden ready to go, fired up. But here's the thing. What does this mean for Raider Nation? You know, uh, Skip Bayless today said that he guarantees that – 
Oakland will uh, win the nat- or win the uh, Super Bowl with John Gruden as the head coach. I, they've got a lot of talent, but here's the thing: a lot of Gruden's teams had a lot of talent in Tampa Bay, and he was never able to formulate that talent, especially towards the end. I do not necessarily. I, I'm not so sold on Gruden being the greatest thing since sliced bread. Gruden can develop a quarterback. This is going to be amazing for uh, for their for Derek Carr there in Oakland. This is good. if you, I'm Derek Carr, I'm more excited than I've ever been in my life to play for uh, John Gruden. Plus, they have a relationship from before he got drafted on that uh, Gruden quarterback show that I actually watched last night. They reshowed it on ESPN. But the thing is, I'm not so certain that John Gruden won't be kind of one of those flash in the pan. Is he really worth what they're throwing at him? Well, Mike, the thing you have to look at it, uh, sometimes your blessing can be your curse too because they're not giving this man 10 pounds to lose. He's coming in now. We remind you they're on their way to Las Vegas, so you know they're they're begging upon a, a, a kind of a new regime, not a new regime, but but to go to a new home, a totally new city, you know, totally new state. So everything is new. They're coming in with the attitude that hey, we're gonna win. It's time to win now. So is he gonna have pressure on him? Yes, not only by the money that. He's earning, but just by the sheer pressure of, okay, you pretty much have a playoff-ready AFC championship team now. So we're looking to go up. So he has to come in and win. My thing with John Gruden is, yeah, he's a great – he can develop quarterbacks. You know, he's good with quarterbacks, but he's not just a great X and O's guy. What makes him good, he's a great leader of men, and they're willing to follow him. And that's very true, and I can't fault John Gruden as far as that goes. But here's where I fault John Gruden. 95-81 and 81 in the regular season and 5-4 and four in the postseason. His overall career is 185. That's a 54% winning percentage, Mike. I, I mean, this is a guy who what? I, 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 I want to look and compare him to Belichick real quick so I can uh, get an idea of where uh, Bill's uh, – Bill Belichick's uh, winning percentages right now as the head coach of the uh, of the as the head coach there in uh, New England. Bill Belichick by by comparison is 237 and 115 for a 67 percent winning winning percentage. 26 and 10 in the postseason for 72 percent overall in his career. 263 and 125 losses for 67. winning percentage. That's the thing. And this is why I bring it up. You give John Gruden $10 million per season. But Bill Belichick doesn't even come close to that, I don't believe, as far as his salary goes. And you know, I've had a guy earlier this week tell me that's the difference between wanting to get a guy and having the guy in your office. But if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm looking at this contract that John Gruden just signed, and I'm saying, hold up. I've got five Super Bowls. I've got the potential to win a sixth this season. Where's my $10 million? Shoot, why don't I demand 15 You know, I, I mean, it just seems 
exorbitant amount for a guy who's won one Super Bowl. Yeah, but Mike, you got to remember it's a copycat league, so best for these coaches are going to definitely demand, and these agents are going to demand quite a bit of money. But guess, what, guess what the standard is? They're going to point at old John Gruden in Oakland, so hey, man, it's a copycat league. I mean, same coaches set precedents. I mean, it'll go forward from here. It's just going to get more ridiculous. That's just too much. To just, for the unknown, you know, that's just that's unreal to me out the year. That's unreal for you know, head coach. But. You know, I will give John Gruden credit, though. I'm looking at his coaching tree right now. And the thing is this. Rod Marinelli, okay, not too bad. Raheem Boris from Tampa Bay, he had a rather forgettable tenure. Gus Bradley for the Jacksonville Jaguars, very forgettable tenure. Mark Trestman, Chicago Bears. Oh, my God, forgettable. Uh, very forgettable uh, stop there in Chicago. Jay Gruden, still there at Washington, remains to be seen. Here's the big one, or the two big ones, excuse me. Mike Tomlin is a disciple of John Gruden, and we know what Mike's done in Pittsburgh as they're the number two overall seed in the, in the uh, AFC. And Sean McVay, the current head coach and the guy who turned around the Los Angeles Rams, is a disciple of John Gruden. So I will give you this. Gruden's got a hell of a coaching tree. But it doesn't oh, yeah. necessarily translate to amazing wins. But that tells you one thing, that he he always has a good staff. He's around good coaches, which is a great thing. And he's a leader of men. Good coaches coach their coaches, to, which transitions to their players. <clears throat> You know, that's interesting to say, but, I mean, you look at it. I mean, I just don't see anything on Gruden's resume besides the fact that everybody went after him. I I mean, that's the thing everybody forgets is the fact that he didn't really do much. Eight and eight and eight and eight as the Oakland Raiders uh, head coach in his first two seasons. Then all of a sudden he goes 12 and four and 10 and six in 2000 and 2001, respectively. The thing is, okay, yeah, he had a great season there in Oakland, or two seasons in Oakland. 12-4 and four in 2002, 11-5 and five in 2005, and 9-7 and seven in 2007. Those are his, those are his uh, division-winning performances. Other than that, 2003, he was third in the NFC South after winning the Super Bowl. Fourth in the NFC South, at five and eleven in two thousand four, in two thousand six four and twelve fourth in the South, and in two thousand eight his final season coaching nine and seven third in the NFC South. I mean, just because you have a great mind for quarterbacks, which I believe is what John Gruden does have in developing quarterbacks, doesn't necessarily translate to a guy who's going to want to be who is successful and. What's the motto of the Oakland Raiders? Just win, baby. And right. I'm not so, sure that and I'm not sure that John Gruden can just win. Well, I'm gonna say this, the pressure is on and we're gonna see. We got ten million reasons to stay tuned. And I mean the city of Las Vegas, that spotlight's just gonna get brighter there 
as far as that goes. That spotlight is just going to get brighter for John Gruden there in um, there in Las Vegas whenever they make that move. Because you know the city of Las Vegas, ever since the move was announced, has been watching the Oakland Raiders with a keen eye, and they're ready for them to come into Las Vegas. And they want these kids, these guys to come into Las Vegas with a winning record. So, I mean, oh, yeah. we're going to have to see. if oh, I mean, I... If John Gruden doesn't turn around and win a Super Bowl within the next four or five years, you may have to call this a bust, and you may have to call this potentially the greatest error in the history of NFL coaching as far as hiring a coach. Oh, not at all. I mean, it's, it's a great gamble, Mike. I mean, you know, that's definitely, you know, playing roulette. We don't know what's going to happen, but – you know that he'll attract players to Oakland. You know they'll probably, I'm sorry, to Las Vegas when they get there. Um, you know it's excitement. You know, uh, they're adding a fan base. I'm not necessarily saying they're leaving their fan base in California because I'm pretty sure Raider Nation will be strong. So it's, it's a lot of excitement there, man, you know. So everything's looking on the up and up for him. He just has to come in and win. And, and you know what? It has to start now. The winning culture starts now. I think they go on, what, a season or two? I think they'll yeah. have maybe, what, a year or two years season left in Oakland. So, you know, they have to win now. They can't, you know, be no six and tens or seven and nines. We're talking nine and sevens and up and fighting to the, to, to get in the playoffs or even win the division. And speaking of head-scratching head uh, coaching hires, North Turner is close to being named the offensive coordinator at the Carolina Panthers. With Cam Newton at quarterback, I just have to scratch my head at that. You've got a super athlete at quarterback, and you're going to slow down the offense? Because that's what Norv Turner is. Norv Turner is a guy that the offense in this league has passed him by. He's not a pass-first guy. He's not a flashy guy. He's not going to make amazing uh, play calls who – that make you go, ooh, ah. North Turner, if you remember his tenure there in uh, Los Angeles, or excuse me, San Diego at the time, he didn't really do much. Yeah, he had Phillip Rivers to get him through and into the playoffs a couple times, but, I mean, I, if I'm if I'm in Carolina, I'm not too excited about this hire at offensive coordinator. Uh, Mike, we're best in this guy. Uh, North Turner is a well-respected um, coach around the league, you know, he has a great track record. Uh, he's known for, you know, having uh, great offenses. The thing about I like about North Turner with Cam Newton is Father Time's undefeated, Mike. All that read option, all that running, taking them unnecessary licks, that's going to have to come to an end with Cam Newton if he has, has any plans of having longevity in the NFL. So, I think North Turner is going to bring a sense of calm, um, a sense of a sense of calm, a sense of you know. Let's let our athletes make the plays down the field. Let's not get our franchise quarterback killed every other play. Because if you have noticed, Cam is beginning to take more and more shots. The shot that he took, you know, the other day was was bad. He looked concussed now. He said it was his eye or whatever may have it. But my point is, Mike, he just, your franchise quarterback 
won't be your franchise quarterback too long if he keeps taking the punishment this guy takes. A lot of unnecessary because he's dominating the ball. He's running the ball. So, But, Mike, I have to question that decision because you look at Russell Wilson. They told Russell Wilson, hey, we need you to stay in the pocket a little bit more. We need you to stop taking these shots. And the same with Cam. And you look at the same with RG3. Prime example, RG3, they told him to completely change his style of play from being a run-first quarterback or a guy who usually tends to tuck the ball and make amazing plays with his feet. If you take that instinct away from the kid, what is he? You know, he can't be a drop-back quarterback. If you're you're not a drop-back quarterback, you can't teach that. You can't teach somebody to be Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady. Or Joe Brees, for that matter. You just can't well, teach Mike, that. But I'll, just I'll like you can't teach Cam Newton's ability. I Mike, being maturated into a 40, 50 times drop back type quarterback. When Brees first came to the league out of Miami, Ohio, he was a game manager, my friend. He might have been throwing about 18, maybe 17 times a game, max. Because remember, he did have Jerome Burtis. He had this thick defense. So he had a solid team around him. Our player can match away right into that if he has the football IQ as well as the talent and Ben had it. You know, well, Ben, ben, ben got to the lead. Ben, ben was never Cam Newton. Ben was never the guy you worried about running the ball, you know, all of a sudden just like that and be 20 yards down the field. Love Ben to death, but Ben will never, ever be that quarterback. But you have Cam Newton, who has this explosive ability. And I believe, you know, Russell Wilson regressed when he was asked to change his style of play to more of a drop-back position. And I, I just worry that if Cam Newton does this, that it could affect his, it could affect his ability to play the game. Yeah, I just think he has to uh, get to the point where he, he, he takes the least amount of shots as possible, man. Because, I mean, let's face it, in the NFL, you just won't last that long. And that, that that definitely won't help your team or your franchise. So that's kind of why I like the North Turner thing. You know, people may think he's outdating the dinosaur and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, his track record is his track record. Right? You know. Well, and I mean – I mean, to speak to your point, uh, Ron Rivera this weekend firing Mike Shula as the offensive coordinator said, I came to the conclusion going forward the thing we needed to do was bring in a different perspective, different ideas in terms of going forward with what I believe is our ultimate goal, and that is winning a Super Bowl. Rivera said after firing Shula and Dorsey, the quarterback coach, and, you know, he said that this move was made to help Cam Newton get to the next level. But the thing is, Cam already has one of the best arms in the league. The guy's already one of the most explosive talents in the NFL. What more do you want out of Cam? I don't think Cam's the problem in Carolina as far as keeping him from going to the Super Bowl. And so there we go, Mike. We kind of pull a circle. That's why you make sure you get athletes around him so you can take the pressure off Cam. Taking off taking pressure off Cam also means Cam getting less hits by taking less shots. I mean, let's face it, because like I say, he's not out there. He does, you know, good. And you definitely won't get to the Super Bowl if you don't got him. He proved he can get there. He just got to win it. So, you know, I think you just surround more talent around him and like they have done, and you keep him healthy, Mike. That's the name of the game. It's possible. This this game was already physical as it is. You know, it's almost impossible to do the thing 
called keep someone healthy, but you have to do whatever is in your power to do so. So taking less shots is part of it. That's definitely true. I mean, you you never want to see your franchise player go down. But the thing is with it, I don't I don't think that you uh I don't think that you play. You know, in my in my opinion, this is playing to lose almost. You're taking away what made the Panthers' offense special, and you're saying, "Hey, we don't need no more of that. We need you to relax." I mean, you know, I think a lot of that falls on the individual, too, you know, from the standpoint. You know, just because we're bringing a new idea, kind of new philosophy, we we still have the same common goal, you know, to win the NFL championship. So, you know, it's up to him to buy in and do his part to, to, you know, become better to make his teammates better and buy in, man. That's why he gets the billions of dollars. He's a leader. That's what leaders do. Leaders, you know, they don't, you know, when the, when the owner brings in or the coaching staff brings in a new coach, they don't defy the coaching staff. They lead. So That's very true. Man, but I don't think North Turner is just a super bad idea, Mike. Now, is there some better ones out there? Yeah, but were they ready available? No. So I That's think it'll help, it, it help Cam mature as a quarterback. I mean, he's in his late twenties, but he's still a young quarterback. And, and like Mike, speaking speaking of more uh, coordinator and coach news here in the NFL, the Seahawks today released the news that they have uh, they have relieved offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel and assistant head coach slash offensive line coach Tom Cable of their duties this afternoon. Uh, I mean, more changes. Just like I said, though, I think that is a direct correlation. You can draw a direct correlation to the fact that Bevel was the one who told Russell Wilson, hey, we need you to become a more drop-back quarterback. And Russell Wilson regressed this season. But, Mike, I think you have to – okay, I, 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 I get where you're coming from, but you have to understand – a quarterback's job is to get the ball to his playmakers, man, and execute the offense. The run thing with quarterbacks is kind of the last option kind of deal because most coaches going to tell you either you are an athlete, don't run unless you got to. If it's a design run, it's a design run. But we don't want you getting hurt. You're susceptible to getting hurt if you run the ball a lot. You know what I mean? I can, man, these guys are getting really strong these guys are getting bigger, stronger, and faster. So you got you know you got to protect your, your 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 investment, your product, if you will. So that's what it's about, Mike. You know, I think it's yeah. you know you kind of pick your battles, but you know with with running the quarterback and not. But I think your overall goal is trying to keep the guy healthy. Well, yeah, that's definitely true as far as that goes, and I mean. You definitely, you know, Tom Cable, former head coach of the uh, Oakland Raiders. So, uh, you know, definitely wish them both the best of luck as far as trying to find new jobs. And here's another interesting move by the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to have to find the story one more time here on my timeline. But the Buffalo Bills today, uh, one of their their, uh, VP of player personnel, Brian Gaines, 
is expected to be the next Texans general manager. And the thing is, with the Texans, just like we both agreed black, back on Black Monday, uh, is this going to be the end for Bill O'Brien as far as being that Texans head coach? Uh, I mean, the move was made, a lot of people presume, to uh, keep Bill O'Brien as the head coach at uh, Houston. But I believe you still have to blame Bill O'Brien for a lot of the things that have happened in Houston. The guy was a great, great coach during his first few seasons at Penn State. But is the guy the guy to be the head coach at Houston, I'm not so convinced anymore. Mike, you know one thing. You know that, I mean, it's, it's, it's pressure on him to win. I mean, healthy, they got a solid team, definitely good enough to win their division. I mean, as far as the GM, man, you know, Signs tell you that he might bring in, you know, might bring in somebody new for a fresh start. So we just have to keep our eyes open on that situation. But you kind of have all the pieces in place, man. So, you know, Bill O'Brien could feel that, you know, my young stud, uh rookie quarterback got hurt. My stud DN got hurt. My all-pro linebacker got hurt. So they may buy him time. But it's definitely. But I mean, eventually, eventually the fans get around. Yeah, yeah, he's disappointed. You remember they're through the five-year window, so you got to try to win now. So do you get rid of your coach now and bring someone in totally new, you know, to try to reach your ultimate goal? You know, is that the right way to go? You know, depends who you talk to. But I think you kind of give him a, you know, kind of another run at it because he's not a bad coach. Mm -hmm. It's just let's face it. He's run into a lot of bad luck. I will give you that. A lot. I will give you. I will give you the fact that he has run into a lot of bad luck. And if I'm uh, O'Brien, I'm looking to draft a, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily a replacement, but you got to get a good quality backup in there for JJ Watt. Because J.J. Watt has consistently gone down every year for the past, what, three, four years now? Uh, I think it may be time to start looking forward at that position. Yeah, Mike. A lot of times I'm defeated. I mean, you know, injuries only set you back, only really cut your time, you know, almost. But I just feel, you know, that's why they have a draft every year, man. They keep drafting, so. I mean, they won't say it, but that's in the back of their mind. They understand that, you know, this league oh, yeah. stands for not for long. It's not for long, you know. It is not for long. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we're about four minutes from the top of the hour when we're going to do our reset <laughs> and focus on what's going to come up this week. But I do want to address this real quick. Uh, Chicago right now, 108-108, tied with the New York Knicks. Three minutes, 36 seconds left in overtime. Chicago this year has really struggled along with the Knicks, and I don't believe either team is, uh, you know, a serious contender to win the East. But, I mean, Bobby Portis has certainly given the Chicago faithful a lot of, a lot of hope for the future, so to speak. 
What do you think? I mean, going into this game, I'm going to have to say Chicago probably pulls this one out. But, I mean, if you're Chicago, you've got to be wondering why are we struggling with the New York Knicks? Yeah, Chicago is just a young team, man, kind of up and down. But you see the talent because I think they've won like eight out of ten or nine out of twelve at one point. So you see the young talent, you know, led by uh, a third-year guy, Bobby Portis, and uh, Mirchik, I believe. So I kind of like Chicago, one of the up-and-coming teams in the league. You know, they just have to continue building, add some people, uh, in, you know, in the draft, I mean, in free agency. You know, keep drafting well because, as you can see, they add a lot of young talent and kind of got, you know, got rid of the people, got the people out of there that didn't want to be there. So I like Chicago. Yeah, definitely. Definitely like Chicago for the future, for sure. Especially, you know, if you build around that key point of Bobby Portis, I think the future looks very high. I think Bobby actually is finally, you know, starting to kind of reach up for that ceiling he has as a uh, NBA player. And I believe we're finally starting to see that true talent shine through. Uh, You know, the kind of the game of the night, the Oklahoma City Thunder right now is down 11 with about uh, nine minutes. Nine minutes left in the fourth quarter in the game. Minnesota 90, or excuse me, 80, and Oklahoma City 69. The thing I want to talk about with Minnesota, though, is Kyrie Irving. I, I, I mean, basically, if people labeled it a clothesline, but let's be honest, he just went straight chopped to the throat on Andrew Wiggins. And, I mean, Kyrie actually had the nerve to say, Oh, that's how I got a lot of my steals. Nah, Kyrie, you you, you you're dirty. That was just dirt, or excuse me, not Kyrie, uh, Isaiah, it. Uh, no, that was just that was just dirty, Isaiah. Come on now, bro. You can say he made a play at the ball, man, but it kind of looked intentional. You know, it's hard to say. Oh, he knows. You know, if it was intentional or not. He doesn't have the history of being a dirty player, so I'm not going to put that label on. He's going to get the benefit of the doubt on this one. But I definitely think he should have been apologetic, you know, and reinforced that it wasn't intentional. <laughs> well, and I mean, do, do you support you know, it intentional? Well, not to sit back and be like, well, this real good my skill. That, that's just showing a little bit too much bravado and cocking and saying, well, hell, if I did it, I did it, I didn't, I didn't. Instead of saying, hey, man, look, my bad, it wasn't intentional at all. I was just trying to compete. And I've gotten steals like that because I'm trying to anticipate. Maybe that's what he meant, Mike. You know, maybe it's how it was worded, how how it came out, but you just can't be, you know, you hurt somebody. You just can't be like, hey, you know, the hell with him. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people are wondering, will Kyrie, or excuse me, will Isaiah, I'm so used to Kyrie being in a Cleveland uniform, will Isaiah be suspended for it? I fully support him being suspended for it. I mean, that was a flagrant two. I believe it was completely unacceptable, and I believe, you know, if he has to sit out a few games, good on the office for making it happen. Nah, I'm going to tell you, I know what will happen. They're going to hit him in the pockets. So... Who and I mean, have, I, you know, I think that could be acceptable. Yeah. I think that could definitely, definitely be acceptable. It definitely got to the fine, without a doubt. You just can't go around crowd and chop the people in the throat. 
and don't think they're going to keep your pocket, you know, whether it was intentional <laughs> or not. So. <laughs> so he will be fine, Mike, you know. That goes without saying, but to label this guy as a dirty player, I think we're reaching out. We're going too far. But with that being said, he needs to be apologetic if he already hasn't apologized. And, you know, he needs to show a little bit of humility because he's just coming off an injury, you know. And despite if an injury was caused by, you know, another person or not, you can sympathize with a guy that's injured, man, because you've been there, you know. You ain't on the court. Oh, yeah. You ain't have your team. Thoughts going through your mind. You're going to be the same player. Are they going to replace you, this, that? So, you know, with that being said, you don't need to intentionally try to do no crap like that. That's horse you know what. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Com- completely unacceptable behavior. And, you know, the kid's still young. Isaiah's still young, I believe. And he he's still young in the league. And he'll – He'll get it. He'll yeah, get it as it comes yeah. along. You know, that was yeah. probably just a bonehead mistake by an immature player. But I do believe, you know, that he'll be hitting the pocketbook at the very least. Yeah, he'll be hitting the pocketbook. I think he's old enough to know better than that if he did try to do it. But like I said, I don't believe it was intentional. He just needs to show a little bit of merely, you know, apologize and push forward. Because you don't want to be labeled as a dirty player. You don't. Exactly. Just asking Dominican Sue as he's just now, you know, starting to try to shed that label as being a dirty player. Right. Even, you know, it's following him a little bit in Miami even. But moving on, right. we got the Portland uh, Trailblazers and the Houston Rockets, 86-79. Houston rolling right now uh, against the Portland Trailblazers. And the Portland Trailblazers team that isn't necessarily bad, you know, I look at Houston as one of the teams that you could potentially look at as being a potential uh, NBA uh, NBA Western Conference Finals team and even an NBA Finals team. Yeah, I like Houston. I I, I like what they have going in uh, in South Texas. Um, it's just important they stay healthy, man. As you as you you know already seen the first you know two and a half months of the season. It's kind of on and off, you know, with Chris Paul and this. In that rugged Western Conference, if you got any dreams of even reaching the Western Conference Finals, you're going to need all your guns, man. They're going to need a healthy Chris Paul. So, you know, it's going to basically go as far as him and uh, um, Harden takes them. But they just got to stay healthy, man, and uh, continue to play their game. Houston is a very dangerous team. I just want to see them uh, defend a little bit better in the low post. And you know they, they, they their game was to outscore you and, 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 and you know more possession, all that kind of crap, shoot threes. But I want to see them at least defend situationally a little bit better. John Harden is ridiculous. I mean John Harden, uh, James Harden, he's ridiculous on defense. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. His James Harden, one of the best defense. players in the NBA right. on defense. Yeah, he's obviously one of the best players in the game. But if you watch him play on defense. It's like he's just not interested, you know. Kiss you in the offensive evening. You know, exactly. great player without exactly. a doubt. You know, great player, but they need to get more self-conscious of, hey, sometimes we got to defend. Sometimes we don't need a timely stop. And we're going to kind of speed things up here. Excuse me. We're going to kind of speed things up here as we uh, finish up our NBA wrap-up. Miami picking up the win. 
in against uh, the Trail or against the Indiana Pacers, one fourteen one oh six, and Utah picking up the victory against Washington, one oh seven one oh four. Tonight's nightcap is going to be the Los Angeles Clippers hosting the Golden State Warriors. Tough test, or excuse me, Golden State's going to host the Clippers. Tough test there for the Clippers and the Warriors, respectively. But the Warriors at 33-8 and eight should probably win this pretty good. Boston uh, and Philadelphia tomorrow. NBA in London Thursday at 2 p.m. Central time. That should be a pretty good game as the NBA looks to follow the NFL model and move a game into London. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, these, these leagues are, are, are smart. <laughs> a lot of smart people work for them. They know what, what making money is about. The NBA and the NFL will be in, Houston, in London, in the city of London, in the next 10 years. I promise you, definitely the NFL and the NBA won't be too far behind them. It's just too much money, and they want to become an international league. It's already an international league from the standpoint you have everybody playing basketball, developing, trying to get to the NBA as well as the NFL somewhat. You just kind of have the soccer craze and the, the the European football craze kind of around the world with soccer. But, yeah, you know, more people are playing football, more people are playing basketball, man. Definitely, definitely. But we're going to go ahead and hit the break here. One hour left in the – about one hour, excuse me. We went a little over, about 50 minutes left in the uh, broadcast here tonight. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL playoffs, wild card. We're going to wrap it up, and we're going to talk about this week in the divisional round matchups. Got a few big games coming up, including Jacksonville at Pittsburgh and Tennessee heading out to New England. We'll see you right here on the other side of the break. Welcome back. Hour number two, Mike and Mike at night starting off this week. Mike, the, the wild card round hosted a lot of upsets this week, or at least Saturday of the wild card round hosted upsets. Sunday, a little bit more paint by numbers. But the thing is, I pull out of this, Jacksonville will travel to Pittsburgh, something that Pittsburgh fans really, I believe, you know, didn't want to see after Ben Roethlisberger threw five interceptions in the regular season matchup. But Tennessee, an epic comeback against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, oh, my God, an epic comeback against the Kansas City Chiefs to manage to get out of Arrowhead. And that's where I want to start. 22-21, to the Tennessee Titans managed to go into Arrowhead and pick up the victory against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Kansas City Chiefs at one point, 
we're up by a crazy amount. Let me see here. Let me look at the uh, let me look at the box score here or the recap. Excuse me. I they come down from a twenty-one to twenty-three hole. That's what I was looking for to come back and win this game. And let's be honest here. This is was the coming out party for Marcus Mariota. Mike, you know what? Everybody's gonna be perfectly honest here. We didn't see that coming. When that game was twenty-one to three, we thought it was gonna be a landslide victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now Tennessee showed a lot of resolve. Um, like you say, Mariota he heated up a little. They were able to run the ball. The running game really opened up, which helped the passing game. And Kansas City just kind of collapsed. Let's face it. So is it? So much of what Tennessee did or kind of, again, it slipped through Kansas City's hands. So I think it's a little bit of both. You can't give all the credit to Kansas City for blowing it. You got to give a little credit for Tennessee, you know, for fighting. They got a solid defense, and they kept playing, but I didn't see that coming. I'm going to be honest. I was kind of lost for words because I was kind of watching the game in and, and bits and pieces, and I would look at the score. It'll be, you know, it was – Tennessee was stuck on three months short of the game. You know, I, by the time it was 21 to three, I'm like, yes, yeah, over. Then I seen a couple of drives. I'm like, they look pathetic. No passing game. The running game took a long time to get going. So I didn't see it coming. I, I, I'm still kind of lost for words. My biggest question is how the hell did Kansas City let that game slip through their fingers? Exactly. You got to wonder that, especially at home. I I think my biggest question right now, as much as I've said it all season, this is the biggest slap in the face right here to let Kansas City in the front office of Kansas City know. Why is Andy Reid still at this moment in time, as we're speaking, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs? Because all of this squarely, I mean, a disappointing season. This game is a microcosm of the whole season. They start out hot, and then they collapsed at the end. And, I mean, you look at it, and you've got to say, it's all Andy Reid. You can't put it on anybody but Alex Smith and Andy Reid. And Andy Reid's willingness to stick with Alex Smith, I believe, is what what caused the uh, what caused the collapse. You know what, Mike? It's kind of one of them things where they've been looking for a reason to get Alex Smith out of town anyway to start the rookie, and they've been very unsatisfied with Andy Reid because he haven't actually, you know, pushed the franchise over the top, if you will. You know, got to the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl as of late. So this just kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back, man. You know, this is more ammo for him. This is the reason to start the young Mahomes. This is the reason to oust um, Andy Reid. And despite Andy Reid being a veteran, good coach, you know, definitely one of the better coaches in the NFL, I think they'll kind of force him out. But he will resurface. But I think they'll force him out and kind of push reset. You know, you got to congratulate Tennessee on their first playoff win in 14 years. But Mariota wow. comes in in the second. Mariota comes in in the second. Uh, in the second half, touchdown, three, an anemic offense heading into the half, twenty-one to three, and all of a sudden, Demarcus Mariota's throwing touchdown passes to himself. 
I mean, that that right there is just enough to make me go, what the hell? I mean, obviously, yeah, you obviously, and we're not ready to do picks yet, but we're probably going to take New England to uh, beat the Kansas or to beat the Tennessee Titans. But when you look at this, you got to go, what is wrong with you? If you're the, if you're the, uh, if you are the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, what happened to that defense at halftime? I don't, man. <laughs> I'm still lost for words. I don't know if they thought they had the game won or they were planning making trips to uh, Foxborough. I don't know. But it don't seem like the coaches should have lost that team at that point. They should have put that game completely away. But, you know, it's the playoffs. You know, your opponent's there for a reason. You know, they earn the right to be there. So they're going to come out there and play to win. They I would just like to say – I would just like to say, Brad Hicks, if you want to text me an opinion about the team, you might just want to go ahead and call in if you want to try to uh, make a breakdown of this uh, of this ball game. But I will say this, you know, a very good point. He did say that, that you know, it, it boils down to this. The Kansas City Chiefs just sucked this year. And I put nothing – I put it on nobody but the Oakland Raiders. Or, excuse me, the Oakland Raiders. They look like the Oakland Raiders, but the uh, – but the head coach Andy Reid put it on nobody but them. Oh man, you talking about monumental collapses out west? Is there any team left in the west? I, I the don't playoffs? believe. I don't believe that there is. If you're referring to the AFC West, I don't believe that there is a team uh, well, left. Well, in I'm the, talking. I'm, I'm talking both west and the both both leagues. My bad. Both conferences. The NFC, um, you know, the AFC. I don't no, believe you so. Have... You can consider – you may be able to consider, you know, depending on your definition of West, the Minnesota Vikings a West team, but that's about it. That's about as far West as it gets. And let's be honest, that's pretty much Central. Yeah, so the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, and I mean, There was just so many promising teams at the end of the year, like the Chargers who didn't make it uh, – Kansas City started to falter. Uh, um, who else got hot in the AFC West? It was the Chargers. Uh, the Broncos definitely did. It was the Chargers no, and the Chiefs. Oakland was in right up until that Dallas game. So, yeah. they were Oakland kind of trying to stay Oakland, afloat. Yeah, Oakland pretty Oakland. much started hot. Oakland was pretty much the Kansas City Chiefs this season. They started hot, and then they just, you know, kind of fell apart. And, you know, that, yeah, you know, I think injuries will get you, man. I'm sorry. Especially when you depend on the particular player that got injured, it, it kind of decimates you, man. So it's hard, but it's fair because everybody goes through it. You just got, it's just next man up. It's well, I tell you this. I tell you this. Speaking of the West, probably the most shocking result of the, uh, of the weekend last weekend was the fact that the Los Angeles Rams lost in Los Angeles to the Atlanta Falcons, allowed them to come in and win the game 26-13. to 13. Jared Goff was 24 of 45, 259 yards, but only one touchdown. I mean, I realize Jared's young. I, I, I get that. I realize that, but, I mean, good God. 
this is a team that with Philadelphia on the ropes, and let's be honest, we're going to get to it. I don't expect Philadelphia to make it out of the game this week. I expect Atlanta to go in there and win in Philadelphia and move on to the NFC Championship, which then the Minnesota Vikings would host if, should they win and do their job. I, I mean, Los Angeles would, had the opportunity to be able to go in and find their way to the Super Bowl, but they didn't. And that's the thing. That has got to be a disappointment for the Los Angeles Rams to go in and lose and lay an egg in the wild card round. Yeah, I just always thought they were too young, man. They were just too spotty on offense. And let's face it, the defense is, is good, as good as they are. They're still kind of young and green. But I, I definitely didn't expect the Rams to um, – to get to the Super Bowl. Now, I thought they may have had a chance to advance, but they're still a young team, man. They're still building. I mean, you know, did anyone expect them to do what they did this year in year two, kind of putting the Ty Gurley and the the um, the Jared Goss of the world, all these pieces they acquired together? No, you know, they expect to improve. So the rebuild is kind of um, ahead of schedule. You know, they're looking good, much to my chagrin being a 49ers fan, but – I think the Rams would be good for years to come. So it, it's still a successful season, you know. I'm pretty sure a Los Angeles Rams fan wouldn't say that, not, you know, winning the Super right. Bowl, but they are on the and up I believe, and up. I believe a lot of Los Angeles fans did honestly think it was going to be, you know, Super Bowl or bust, even though, you know, by the time that they made it to the playoffs, at the beginning of this season, nobody really saw Los Angeles coming. So, you know, kudos to Los Angeles for – coming out and out of nowhere and winning the NFC West, and that's exactly what your Niners are going to be looking to do is go from worst to first next season. Everybody knows how hard that is, especially, you know, now that Los Angeles has come on, it's going to be extremely difficult for the uh, San Francisco 49ers to manage to win the NFC West next season. But you got to give it up to the Rams, man. A young team, just like you said, and they aren't going anywhere by any stretch of the imagination. But just looking at it uh, by comparison to Jared Goff's numbers, Matty Ice went 21 of 30 for 218 yards, three touchdowns, or excuse me, one touchdown, no interceptions. So, I mean, the passing game kind of took a back seat in this one to the rushing attack. Yeah, we already know in the playoffs, man, um, teams um, take away your strengths and expose your weaknesses. So a lot of times it does come. You never, you know, now, now, now and then you'll see, uh, you know, huge game. You'll see teams with huge games in the passing game, huge numbers. But more often than not in the playoffs, man, they shorten the game, great defense, good special teams. You've got to be able to run the ball. It's a must. Exactly. Especially in certain cities, man. When you talk about Pittsburgh, uh, New England, uh, Buffalo, and, you know, all these cities where the weather's just going to be horrific, you better be able to run the ball because you're definitely going to be able to throw it. So it's really a must in the playoffs. Tell you, the team that probably just decided not to show up unless you considered the second half of that Kansas City Chiefs game. The Buffalo Bills did not show up to play a football game last Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars because if they did, they didn't belong in the playoffs to begin with because that that offense just looked absolutely terrible 
Now, I understand how great the Jacksonville Jaguars defense is. They don't call them Saxonville for no reason. But come on now. You got Tyrod Taylor. You got a great mobile quarterback. And, yes, I did just use the word great and Tyrod Taylor in the same sentence. But, I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a dynamic quarterback and a guy that – and a guy that changed the fortunes for Buffalo when he finally hit his stride. And I believe that this has got to be a letdown. And if you're a Buffalo fan, especially if you traveled all the way to Jacksonville, you've got to be sick to your stomach with the way that team came out. Yeah, but you got to remember my young team, new season. <laughs> I mean, that is very true. I mean, the the, the, the postseason is a totally new season. You you have to forget what you've done in the regular season because you have to race it because it's totally new. And let's face it, it's added pressure, man, when you haven't been there. You know, experience, you know, rules all. So they don't have that. A lot of them ain't never been to the playoffs, probably 90% of them. So, you know, I get the nerves and all that kind of stuff. You throw all the rankings and the vision winner and all that kind of crap out. But that ain't going to score no points for you. I stop nobody for scoring points. That's right? very true. You got to go out there and play the game for 60 minutes. Just ask Kansas City. I mean, it's going to take, especially in this time of year, you know, when these playoffs start, you start 0-0. Zero, zero. It's like a complete reset on the season. As soon as you get to the playoffs, you better win or you're going home with a, with what feels like a losing season. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at Blake Bortles' numbers in this game, and you know, I kind of want to hit on that because we constantly talk about Blake Bortles being a game manager, and you know, not necessarily the kid that's going to win you the game, but you hope he's not going to lose it for you. And he didn't lose it for him this week, but he didn't even get above a hundred yards passing. Let's be honest here: twelve of twenty-three for eighty-seven yards, an average of three point eight yards per pass. In one touchdown, he was sacked twice on twelve on the dropbacks there on the twelve completions. I, I mean, you look at this, and uh, this is a kid who's about to go into a very cold, very hostile environment uh, this Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, Blake Bortles is going to have to do a lot more than that to not lose this game. But really, you know, even Leonard Fournette was shut down. 21 carries for only 57 yards. The Jacksonville rushing attack went five carries for Westbrook, 48 yards, 9.6 average. Fournette, three carries, 21 yards. And Lewis, three carries, 17 yards. Nothing in that game really jumps off the page to me saying that Jacksonville dominated this game. But the defense is what got them through it. I mean, really, you can call that an anemic offensive performance by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ten points were all that was put up in this game and a total of less than two touchdowns between both teams. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was the ugliest playoff game in at least in the Super Bowl ever. <laughs> I admit to that, but you know what? Uh, but Hey, was it you, Jags? Well, we won the game. We pulled through. And, uh, yes, Blake, Blake, he has to do better throwing the ball. But he made plays with his legs. 
He almost had yeah. 100 yards with his legs. Yeah, yeah that definitely is true. Blake Blake does have intangibles, but I believe that Blake needs to advance as a quarterback, and I haven't seen anything behind, between the eyeballs that shows me that Blake Bortles passes the eyeball test, so to speak, as a guy who can go out and win a Super Bowl or win a big-time playoff game in a Pittsburgh or in a New England when you're when, when you need. You know, this week you can guarantee – that Pittsburgh will stack the box to stop the run game, and it's going to be on Blake Bortles' shoulders on to whether that they can move on to the AFC title game. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Blake, he's going to have to make some throws, and he's going to have to minimize mis- any mistakes that he makes. Oh, yeah. And, I uh, mean, Pitt- Pittsburgh, we, even uh, myself. I, de- I believe our defense can keep us in the game. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, last time we, I mean, I know the, I know we're not gonna see five interceptions from uh, Roethlisberger pick sixes, and you know Pittsburgh. I think they may get in the end zone this time, but it's gonna be a tough game. Oh yeah, it's still gonna be tough, and it's gonna be a tough road to haul. For the uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get through this, even though they are at home and it's going to be bitterly cold, and we're going to go on to the final playoff game. New Orleans defeats Carolina in a wild one, and I want to get y'all's opinion on this here. The fact I remember vividly the uh, intentional grounding call and Cam Newton fighting the referee just about. He was in that referee's face saying, "I was out of the pocket." I believe that the NFL officials actually got that one wrong. I think that the kid was out of the pocket. I think Cam was out of the pocket on that play. And I think that that intentional grounding call may have cost the Carolina Panthers a trip to Minnesota. I I mean, I really did not. I I take nothing against away from New Orleans. They won that game, and I believe that they're going to give Minnesota all that they can handle this weekend in Minnesota. But... I mean, it's hard to say that Carolina may not have deserved to win that football game. Well, they had the chances. Yeah, they definitely had a lot of chances to win that game, and they just didn't capitalize on it. That's that's the big problem that Carolina has, is, and that's probably why they got rid of their offensive coordinator. They had all sorts of chances to win that game. They just couldn't capitalize when the lights were turned on bright, and that's why we have the New Orleans Saints moving on. Yeah, yeah I mean, that call with Kim was real close, Mike. I mean, you know, it. some say it was, some say it was. I actually think, unfortunately, it was intentional ground. It's hard to lose a game like that, especially a playoff game. But I just feel that... You know, Kim took a bunch of his face shots that game. And, I mean, he wasn't consistent. And let's face it, man, those referees, they kind of get caught into the Florida game, too. If you're inconsistent, you're not going to get a call, kind of like with basketball. So, right, right. Yeah, you know. You know, a lot of times you see Kim barking at the refs and this and that, you know, the Florida game. But they had their chances, man. So it's hard to say one play cost them. That's very true. That's very true. And, you know, you know at the yeah. 
at the end of the day, there's no consolation prizes, especially not in the playoffs. In the New Orleans teams, you got to give it to them. They did exactly what they needed to oh, yeah. to move on to yeah, Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's one to go home. They, they don't say that for nothing. And think about New Orleans. New Orleans is, when you say New Orleans Saints, the first thing you think is Drew Brees' offense. New Orleans has an outstanding defense and great special teams. See? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because one phase, you know, you may, you may win on special teams. You may win it defensively. Seldomly, are you going to win a game in the playoffs offensively? Look at the look at the Kansas City Titan game. I mean, yeah, the Kansas City Tennessee game. They jump out. It was straight defense. They're on out. And Tennessee didn't have big plays. They methodically moved down the field. Field position, field position. I turn over here. You see what I mean? Uh, Aaron Paris that bounced back to the quarterback and he scored. I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't happen, man. That's very true. I mean, I can't disagree with you on that one. You know, you can't you can't give up 31 points and expect to win a playoff game. I will completely agree with that. Can, Carolina did not do the things that they needed to do to win that game, and that's the thing you always argue. You always say, you know, don't leave it in the hands of the officials. I, I said the same thing in that controversial call that went against my Steelers uh, when the Jesse James uh, catch that was ruled not a touchdown, uh, you know, you just can't leave it in the hands of the officials. That's what it comes down to. And, I mean, it does sound cliche, but that's the fact of it. You cannot leave these games in the hands of the officials. And we've seen it time and time again. They're too inconsistent in calling these big plays to want to leave it in the hands of the officials. They're human, and they're subject to error. Yeah, let's face it, man. It's, it's not the easiest thing to do. They're paid to do a job, and they're supposed to execute it to the best of their ability, and they do make mistakes. They're human, man, but some of it's unexplicable. You know what I mean? If if, oh, yeah. if you're chosen to, if you're chosen as a playoff ref, you got to be at the top of your game. No, oh, yeah, to be definitely. At the top of your game because the mistakes you make are gonna cost. A 53-man roster is going to cost the whole team. So, you know, you got to be on top of your game, my man. Well, Mike, the Elite Eight, so to speak, of the NFL playoffs has been set up, and we're going to get it this weekend. Starting off this Saturday at 3.30 Central Time we, on NBC, we're going to have the Atlanta Falcons going in to uh, going into a hostile Philadelphia. And shockingly, the Atlanta Falcons are the uh, are the favorite in this game, according to the Vegas odds. Atlanta, a three-point favorite against the Philadelphia Eagles. And, I mean, I guess you really got to attribute that to the fact that there is no Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Hey, I mean, just looking at this game, the veteran leadership of Matt Ryan, I believe, is what this game comes down to. And you got a kid like Nick Foles who – has limited starting experience as a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Nick Foles is a relatively good quarterback. I'll give you that. But is he Matt Ryan? No. Does that defense show up is another big key to this game. And, I I mean, they're going to have their work cut out for him because I believe that that offense in Philadelphia is going to be stagnant. 
I do not believe that it's going to be setting the world on fire as it would if Carson Wentz was there. You know, if Carson Wentz was there, you could probably pencil the Philadelphia Eagles into the Super Bowl. But that's not the that that's not the world we live in right now. And I believe that you have to take the Atlanta Falcons over the Philadelphia Eagles, and I believe it'll be by at least seven points. Seems like we may have lost our uh, co-host, Mike uh, Mike Pettis, there. But, I mean, just breaking down this game, I, I have a hard time being able to choose the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in this choice. Mike, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Forgive me for my technical difficulties. But, I mean, you know, with, with the sophomore sensation Carson Wentz going down against the, uh, the reigning MVP, Matty Ryan, you have to go with Matty Ice, you know, from a standpoint that – Atlanta's been in the playoff. Atlanta's playoff started five, six weeks ago because they had to fight to qualify, you know. So that team is actually focused in playoff mode. They just want a real, you know, hard-fought game out west against the upstart uh, Los Angeles Rams. So I expect Nick Foles to have a decent game, you know, probably 60% right. completion of, you know, maybe – Maybe 200-yard pass and maybe a touchdown or so. But to ask him to be Carson Wentz is a monumental task. But I think he'll be prepared because that's what these coaches get paid for. They've had two and a half weeks, three weeks to get this guy prepared. But Atlanta's just going to be a little bit too much. I'm going to give them a nod. Now, one thing we have to pay attention to is -hmm. the weather. Oh, yeah, definitely. The cold could affect Matt. you got to realize these kids are used to playing in that new dome. And I believe, actually, the field is heated on that dome. Right. And we know, you know, we know the the odds, if you will, with West Coast teams and dome teams when they go to, you know, extremely cold climates. It's usually not good. So we got to pay attention to that, man, but you want to give the nod to uh, Maddie Ice and the uh, Falcons. Yeah, I believe that they will roll roll on and move into the uh, NFC Championship game with a win this weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you're an Eagle fan, we all know how finicky they can be. Do you not look at this season, even with Carson going down, they don't tend to have a lot of sympathy for coaches or teams even with injuries and things of that nature, they don't tend to have a lot of understanding as far as those things go. You could see a major, you know, these Philadelphia fans could be a little bit pissed off. You know, they may, they may, they may want to say being pissed off after this game because they may really be pissed off. But, <laughs> hey, man, I mean, I mean, I mean, damn, Mike. Nick Foles is a guy I'm familiar with. He plays for uh-huh. the franchise. He's he's took the the team to the playoffs. I think he's actually won a playoff game. So, you know, a lot of teams would love to be in that position. So, is, oh, it, yeah, more, is, it, is, is it more so that you need to rally around the guy and you know get him prepared, give him a good game plan, and, and give him a little confidence? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I believe that the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, have as much confidence as you can in a backup going into a divisional round matchup with a guy who, against a guy who, you know, obviously nobody's going to expect Nick Foles to outperform Matt Ryan. But if you're Nick Foles, you've got to help your defense in this case. And that's what I believe that Nick Foles has struggled with in the past few weeks and why the Philadelphia Eagles have struggled is the fact that the uh is the fact that Nick Foles hasn't been able to help out his defense. But if Nick but if they can get a few first downs and they can play keep away from that Atlanta offense, I believe that they could turn this into a game. I struggle seeing that happen though, unfortunately. I struggle seeing them helping out their defense. And I believe that I, I believe the offensive firepower and the offensive prowess of the veteran Atlanta Falcons team will be able to come into Philadelphia and be able to escape with the victory. That's the re, that that's my that's my thinking behind the pick as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean you know wild Carson Wentz is just gonna be kind of hard to. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be very difficult for uh, Philadelphia to come out of this one with a victory. And you want to talk about not being an enviable, in an enviable position. We have the, uh, we have the uh, Tennessee Titans going into uh, New England. And right now they're a 13-and-a-half point. They're a 13-and-a-half point underdog to the, uh, to the New England Patriots. Anybody surprised by this, you know, probably hasn't been paying attention to what's going on. It's at 7.15 Central Time on CBS this Saturday night. You know, you got to look at New England and say that there's no real way that the uh, that the Patriots lose this game. I mean, just look at the quarterbacks in this situation. Marcus Mariota, 281 attempts or 281 completions on 453 attempts this season. 3,232 yards, 13 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Now you look at the great Tom Brady. 385 completions on 581 yards, or 581 attempts, 4,577 yards, 32 touchdowns, and only eight interceptions. I, I, I mean, show me a path to victory for the Tennessee Titans if you can. I can't. I, I I just don't see it. We know what the weather's going to be like, and uh, Demarco Murray's down, so you know you got uh, the I mean, uh, young Derrick Henry. That, that's a, that's a monumental task, man. Yeah, I mean, no, take nothing away from the Tennessee Titans. I would love to see Tennessee as a Pittsburgh fan go in there and manage to pull off this upset. But I mean, you got a grown man in the in Rob Gronkowski against the Tennessee Titans defense, and that's the thing. You know, even if you play main coverage and you you jam them receivers at the start, you you really have a problem with the uh, with the fact that the tight end is probably going to eat them up all game long. Oh, without a doubt, man. <laughs> that goes without saying. I mean, that goes without saying. It's just you know, New England just has too much firepower. 
You know, we we gonna take the weather out of it. New England's just a better team, and I think Tennessee uh, will fight. You know, and play with a lot of pride and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, New England will pull it out. Exactly. I exactly. That's the thing. Uh, that's the thing. I, I I think the Patriots are probably gonna roll. It'll probably be more than thirteen, in my opinion. It'll probably be something like twenty-one. I don't think this game will ever be in. Uh, I don't think this game will ever be in question as far as the uh, outcome goes. Now, I mean, what I'm looking for here, if you're a Tennessee fan, you really want to see, uh, you really want to see some, some development of Marcus Mariota. You want to see him go in there and do some positive things as you're just going to be looking for those positives going forward in this uh, in this very tough game that they're going to have. You know, I want to briefly hit on the, uh, the uh, Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady situation. How much stock do you put in that? Uh, do you believe that there really is an issue there and a controversy as far as a potential replacement and Belichick wanting a potential replacement for Brady going forward? I mean, I believe that that could be true. I see it as a potential problem for New England going forward, too, because, you know, Bill Belichick probably doesn't have that many seasons left as the head coach. He wants to set this team up for the future, and it appears that Brady and uh, Robert Kraft don't really want to look forward to the future. They want to kind of keep their eyes – they want to keep their eyes narrowed. Yeah, I think it's something there. I mean, and and we know that Belichick has a history of not – Liking people telling him what to do. <laughs> he ain't been this successful this long, you know, by not following that formula. So, yeah, I think it's some rift there. I mean, why would you want to keep a stud quarterback like that? Now, I know it's been very difficult, you know, trying to franchise tag him, him actually making more than your all star quarterback. But I'm pretty sure Brady kind of said, hey, man, let's, uh, you know, let's move this guy along. We can get somebody in the draft, but I'm not going anywhere for three, four, five years. So, you know, I, I think it's something there. And I don't think Belichick truly cared for it. I certainly would agree with it. Now we move on to the what is going to be the more competitive games this week. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to host the Jacksonville Jaguars in Heinz Field this uh, Sunday at uh, 12.05 Central Time on CBS. Pittsburgh is seven and a half point favorite uh, hosting the uh, Jaguars against the uh, uh, at Heinz Field. I, I mean, Mike, I want to hear your breakdown of the game before I go ahead and give mine as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. Um, once again, the weather could play a factor with uh, the Jags being kind of a, uh, you know, a warm-weather team down in South Florida. Uh, it, it's really going to come down to the play of uh, Blake, Blake Bortles and that Jags offense. The Jags defense will keep them in it for a minute, you know, but as we all know, that juggernaut offense in Pittsburgh, I mean, you can't keep it down for too long. So, obviously, Jacksonville is going to have to muster some points and definitely play great special teams. But, you know, I think Jacksonville can come in and follow up, make it interesting. But it's going to be a tall task trying to uh, beat Pittsburgh at home, especially with a healthy A.B., Le'Veon Bell, and all the weapons. But um, 
you know, our buddy Charles, um, that's in the studio with us, he's mm-hmm. a huge jazz fan, so I'm pretty sure he'll have something to say to you about this whole deal. So, you know, yeah, we don't turn on him to a You know, we definitely need to get your thought, but let's see what Charles thinks about it first. Uh, yes, of course. Yes, I'm a jazz jazz fan since 1996. Uh, but anyway, um, a ball cup game. Yeah, I believe my jazz have a shot because, um, like going back, we beat them in week five, and then ten years ago, we went to Pittsburgh twice in the cold and the snow, and we beat them and they beat them and knocked them off in the wild card. So we have a history of being stillness in you know what I'm saying I, I don't know about believing in the omens or not, but I think we got a shot. As long um uh, I, I don't think we're gonna kick Big Ben off five times again and I'm not sure Little Fournette is gonna run for hundred and eighty yards and bust out a ninety yarder. But I right. think we can run the ball I think we can run the ball good enough, you know what I'm saying, as a team, as a collective group. We can run by over 100 yards and Blake make a few throws when even the most and uh, protect the ball. And we have a shot. Uh, you know, put some points up and, uh, and, hold, and, and hold Pittsburgh to the minimum points. I think our defense is – Good enough to do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I and it definitely, it definitely could come down to, uh, come down to that. You know, you definitely make a good point, and I'm definitely not going to discount the Jacksonville Jaguars by any means necessary. Yeah. But I mean, well, I go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but I know we have, a, I know we have bad chance. Uh, my Jags have a better chance of being the Steelers than Tennessee does New England. Yeah, I mean they definitely have a uh, they definitely have a chance to come in here. I believe that's why I said you know Sunday's going to be the more quote unquote competitive games as far as this uh, divisional card uh, divisional round goes. This weekend, I believe that the uh, Sunday games are definitely going to be a lot more competitive. Here's my deal. Uh, here's my deal on the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe it all comes down to this. Blake Bortles. I don't think that Blake Bortles is going to be able to deal with the pressure that he's going to see against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're, gonna, they're going to load the box against Leonard Fournette and that stable of running backs. And I believe that um, I believe that Pittsburgh Steelers will be able to win this game. Uh, you know, just like my, uh, just like our uh, contributor Brad just pointed out, he says Pittsburgh ever since that Week Five loss to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars has been on a tear, winning ten of their last eleven games. That lone loss, a controversial loss to the New England Patriots. Uh, yeah. I believe Pitt this. I believe the Steelers have everything needed to win this game. It's just can they manage to put it all together, especially with a we're not sure how healthy Antonio Brown is. Well, he's been yeah. I have reports. I see him been uh, uh, doing things with Ocho Cinco 
out on the field testing it out, and he looked pretty good. And then her teammates earlier this week saying that he looked pretty good in the hiccups, like as he never got hurt. So we'll see. Well, I think the most interesting thing that came out of the sports world today involving the Jacksonville and Pittsburgh game was that uh, Phil Sims uh, basically said that Jacksonville needs to come into this game and revamp their complete usage of Blake Bortles. And what they need to do is actually hide Blake Bortles a lot more and use him more in a wildcat-type package. Um, Not real sure if that would be effective. Uh, although, you know, the telling thing here about Pittsburgh that's interesting to me is, is A.B. healthy enough to, to, to be a contributing factor? And, um, you know, I, don't, I just don't know. I mean, will the five interceptions be in Ben Roethlisberger's head? Obviously, you know, as a consummate professional, you wouldn't think so, but it's the NFL. Anything and everything can happen. I mean, let's be honest. Did anybody really see the Buffalo Bills blowing an 18-point lead? Nope. You know, I mean, and that's just my thing is, you know, it only takes one play, really, and the momentum could shift. I mean, you know, we're looking at a Pittsburgh team that has played really well. They've done enough to win. Uh, they play down to the level of their competition. That's always been the knock that I've heard on Pittsburgh. So let's just hope and, 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 and pray if you're a Pittsburgh fan that Mike Tomlin has this team uh, looking at Sunday and not next week. Um, so Mike just asked me my prediction. It's hard to go against Pittsburgh. And to be honest with you, I think, you know, I'm going to, play the contradictory role, I believe that of the two games in the AFC on Saturday and Sunday, that the more competitive game will be played Saturday. I mean, I'm not saying New England's going to struggle, but I think the closer game's going to be on Saturday, and that's just me. I think Pittsburgh wins by 14. And that's just, I mean, and I, trust me, as a 49ers fan and not one to see seven Super Bowls, I would love to watch. I would love to watch Pittsburgh lose. But I think the telling thing to me in the playoffs is, especially when it comes to uh, New England, is the is the ultimate fact that Tom Brady and the struggles that New England's had this year is when their offensive line has had to play basically straight up man-to-man against the rush. Uh, Tom Brady's been hit more, I think, this season than his NFL season combined, honestly. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, like the movie says, any given Sunday. But uh, obviously, when when the playoffs were were, were 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 finalized, you ultimately look at the showdown in Foxborough, honestly, with Pittsburgh and New England. Obviously, you 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 pencil that in. And I don't know if you can anymore, but I mean, pretty much that's what I expect. I think the more the more shocking side was the NFC this year, so far. But you know, another interesting stat for the playoffs is is the Dirty Birds. If you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, you pray that your team scores 20 or more points because when the Falcons have scored 20 or more points, they are 11 and 0 this year. So 
they're going in. They're playing Philadelphia, right? So they're playing Philadelphia without yeah. without Nick Fall or without Carson or Wentz. So I would say if you're gonna if I'm gonna look at it, I'm going Atlanta, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, New England, and I say your Super Bowl consists. Uh, I, I think we're gonna get a rematch. I think we're gonna get Atlanta. New England too, and I, I mean I just think that, Michael. I mean that that's my thought process, and I think that Atlanta wins out to win the Super Bowl and avenge their loss last year. Because let's face it, uh, what was it? I mean I'm seriously I cannot think of another absolute meltdown unless you go that Houston Oilers Buffalo Bills game years and years and years ago when I think was it Houston I think. I can't remember. I think Buffalo, one of the two, I can't remember who, who it was, absolutely collapsed the 30-something-plus point lead and, and lost the game. Um, but other than that, I, I really thought we had a Super Bowl winner in Atlanta last year. Uh, yeah, it goes to show you that no lead is, no lead is safe. But yeah, we're definitely – we're definitely going to have to wait and see as far as this goes. I mean, those are some those are some interesting predictions. I mean, going as far as, you know, Atlanta beating Minnesota in Minnesota. That is very impressive. I'm, and I don't know if you all could hear, but Brad said you can't argue the fact that Atlanta is 11-0 when scoring 20-plus points. That's a fact that you can't deny. I mean, does this Atlanta Falcons team have a Super Bowl look to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to see him to, to see him atone for you know for the debacle, you know, on Super Bowl what, fifty one. So I, you know, it, it's hard to say, Mike, but I would I would love to see a rematch. But it's going to be a battle getting there, you know. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, like I said, I honestly think it's going to be. You know, before the Carson Wentz, I said all should it possibly all filled up for Pennsylvania Super Bowl, but I definitely think Pittsburgh will represent the AFC and out of the remaining teams, I'm gonna definitely say the Falcons. <laughs> I mean the one problem I see here is this. Minnesota probably has the most motivation to uh to uh make the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's at the home field, but hey, you still have to play the game and win. But Minnesota sat down a long time, man. And these young teams, they got a few veterans. They got a nice mix of veterans, you know, that'll help out. But just not having that experience, I can't remember the last time Minnesota was in the playoffs, especially with this group. You know, it's not an AP there. It's not a Brett Favre there. It's not, you know, some of the notable guys that were there in the past. It's a young group. Now, let's remember, Mike, it's a totally new season. Right. You know, let's forget what you did in the regular season. It's a new season. You know, that's, that's not going to count true. for nothing. And, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, uh, you can go ahead and say right now the four remaining teams, the Atlanta Falcons are probably the hottest team in the NFL right now as far as, as far as you know, and just like Brad's mentioning, and it looks like we just lost Mike Pettis. 
But just like uh, you alluded to a second ago, Brad, there are. They're going to be in the dome. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. You know, weather will not be a factor this time of year. You know, it'll be cold on the outside, but you won't have to worry about that inside the dome in Minnesota. Uh, the thing is, I, does Minnesota get past New Orleans this weekend? That's something that I honestly question. New Orleans is not a bad team. And as long as you have somebody like Drew Brees and uh, Mike Pettis is back in joining us once again, but as long as you have somebody like Drew Brees back at quarterback, you've got to wonder, can New Orleans manage to pull the upset this Sunday against Minnesota? Oh. I'll give a nod to New Orleans, man, for the simple fact New Orleans has played a game. You know, they're, they're warm, if you will. You know, you got a victory under their belt. And you got Drew Brees probably playing the best, you know, football of his career outside the Super Bowl when he had several years ago. So, you know, I'm not taking nothing away from Minnesota, man, whatsoever, but that label for that shit at home. You know, right. they got, they're totally right. the best defense in the league. And, you know, they have the best record. They have an incredible home field advantage. The Super Bowls in Minnesota. But I've seen a lot of teams in that situation where it didn't fare well, man. And it's a thing called pressure, Mike. You know, the teams will complicate things. So we'll see. We yeah, shall we definitely see. Will. We definitely will. That is definitely, uh, you know, very accurate as far as pressure. But. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about out of time. Mike, I think we pretty much covered everything this week in sports. You know, crazy, crazy wild week. But I look for this next seven days to possibly be even crazier with the divisional round coming up this weekend and anything being able to happen, at least on Sunday, any outcome being uh, available to happen. Uh, Mike, I, I mean, like I said, I think we got everything. You got anything left for us to cover here tonight? All right, man. I just want to thank Charles for joining us tonight. And uh, thanks for a good show tonight, Mike. Well, I definitely want to thank Charles as well for uh, contributing to the show. We certainly appreciate you, and you're more than welcome to come on any time. We definitely enjoyed your insight. Uh, Mike, I definitely want to thank you for another great show. And we're going to be back in seven days for another episode of Mike and Mike at Night. Don't forget Monday night, your current event show, The American Idiots, is going to be live. Uh, still nailing down a definitive topic on that one. And a uh, little bit of an announcement here as in the coming weeks, it appears that we're going to have the return of Mr. Brad Hicks to the airwaves on Behind the Curtain uh, coming to you live. So stay tuned for that. But for Mike Pettis, Charles, and I'm Michael Carnahan, and we'll see you next week, ladies and gentlemen.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.